0: Well, as I just mentioned to uh, to the kids, for the next four weeks, we are going to be learning about the Holy Spirit together. And anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, it seems like there's probably two extremes that we need to avoid. Now, one extreme is kind of the what I would call the charismatic response to the Holy Spirit, and that's where where people really attribute to the Holy Spirit all kinds of kind of uh, emotional experiences and and things like that, kind of the supernatural kind of things. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that, but, but there's an over-focus over on that. And we see that in our culture. We've seen people like uh, faith healers, like Benny Hinn, who recently has been exposed by his nephew as a fraud. I mean, he claimed to be using the power of the Holy Spirit, but it really wasn't. Or I don't know how many of you remember this. I can remember back in the mid-'90s, there was something called the Toronto Blessing. And it was these people would go and they would, they would fall down in the aisles and they would roll in the aisles and they would laugh out loud and, and they would dance around and they would even bark like dogs and they claimed that that was the Holy Spirit working inside of them in their lives. And, and what I find is if you kind of go to that extreme talking about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit just becomes kind of this this force that people try to hang on to for their their own benefit, really, to bring attention to themselves rather than bring attention to God. Now, most of us probably tend to go towards the other extreme. And several years ago, I think about 2009, Francis Chan, who's a pastor, he wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And in there, he writes this about the Holy Spirit. And this is probably closer to where we are. This is the introduction. He says, you might think that calling the Holy Spirit the forgotten God is a bit extreme. Maybe you agree the church has focused too much attention elsewhere, but feel it is an exaggeration to say we have forgotten about the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. And um, he goes on to write some more about that, and I think that's probably the camp that we're most prone to fall into. And so as he begins to, to write in his book, he writes this about about probably where most of us tend to fall when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He said, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they have experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year. And many of them do not believe they can. And I think that's probably true. I think that's a a good question for us to ask. I'm going to make one more quote from his book that I think will help to kind of set the stage for where we're going to go. He says this, if it's true that the Spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of God living inside of him or her and the person who does not? That's probably a good question for us to ask, right, this morning? One that we ought to ponder, you know, is there really a difference in my life because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me? Am I different than the whole world around me? And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about for these next four weeks as we, as we talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, in four weeks, we're going to only be able to just barely touch on the Holy Spirit. We can't possibly Tell you, talk about everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. But here's my goal for us in the four weeks. I don't want you to just leave at the end of four weeks with some more knowledge about the Holy Spirit. I want you to be able to experience Him in your life in a fresh new way, maybe beyond anything that you've ever experienced before. So that's really the goal here. And this morning we're going to begin by talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. But before we do that, there's a couple of things that we need to do to kind of set the stage for that. There's there's two important truths about the Holy Spirit that we need to understand, and and if we don't get these at the outset, if we don't set this as the foundation, we're going to really have a hard time, I think, being able to apply the things that we're going to learn. So two things about the Holy Spirit that are really true. Here's the the first truth about Him. He's 100% God. He's not a different God he's not another kind of God he's not only partially God he is God period probably the best place we can see this and and we see it really all throughout the scripture but maybe the best place is in Acts chapter 5 and maybe you remember the story there of Ananias and Sapphira And when Peter talks about the Holy Spirit there, he makes it really clear that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Here's here's what it says in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to what? To lie to the Holy Spirit, keep that in mind, and to keep back for, for yourself part of the proceeds of the land, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? And here's the, here's the key part. You have not lied to man, but to who? To God. So what has he done? He's basically said the Holy Spirit is God. And like I say, that's not the only place in the Scriptures we see it, but, but that's probably one of the clearest places. So we need to keep in mind that, that the Holy Spirit is not just this, you know, power to be harnessed. He's God to be worshipped. And that leads us to the second thing that we need to understand here about the Holy Spirit, and that is that He is a person and not an impersonal force. Probably like me, you've heard a lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it rather than a he, Right? I've probably been guilty in my life of doing that before, to be real honest. I try really hard not to. I I might slip and do it even in this series. I'll try hard not to. But but the Holy Spirit is a person. He's someone that we can have a relationship with. He's not just this impersonal force that we can kind of harness for our own benefit. We see this in, in the book of Acts that, that uh, Simon, the sorcerer, he tried to do that. He, he thought the Holy Spirit was this, this force that he, could, that he could just harness. Here's, here's what we read in the book of Acts in chapter 8. It says, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. So he thought the Holy Spirit was something he could buy. It was some of this force that he could use. He could make money off the Holy Spirit, which is really what he wanted to do. And, and we see, if you read the rest of the account, that Peter rebukes him very directly for this because that was, that was not the thing. So the Holy Spirit is a person with whom we can have a relationship. And that's going to be really the key, one of the keys to understanding the things that we're going to learn. It's going to be the key to understanding why it's so important that the Holy Spirit is present in our lives, as we're going to see this morning. This is probably a good place to address one more thing before we go on, and that's, that's the phrase, the Holy Ghost. Most of you probably heard that. If you use the King James Bible, you will find that is the term that is used in the New Testament 90 times to refer to the Holy Spirit. It refers to him as the, the Holy Ghost. And um, it's kind of interesting that that term is never used in the Old Testament in the King James Version, but in the New Testament, that's how he's referred to. Here's the thing. Back when the, the, the King James translation was done, back in the 17th century, the word ghost had a different meaning than we have that it has today. It essentially referred to the essence of a living person. It's probably much closer to the way we use the word spirit today, right? We would talk about a person's spirit as the essence of of who they are. But that's what the word ghost meant back then. Now, obviously, today it means something else, right? When we hear the word ghost. What do you think of? You think of a dead person? You think of a uh, of an apparition, maybe a paranormal experience or a demonic apparition or Casper the friendly ghost, you know. And and so the word has taken on a a different meaning today. So so almost all the newer translations of the scriptures are going to consistently translate that that word there as the Holy Spirit rather than the Holy Ghost. But in deference to those of you who still prefer the King James Version, which is certainly fine, I've I've actually titled this sermon series Ghost so that you can feel good about that and you can do that. So so I want you to understand that. So I'm going to use the term the Holy Spirit, but there's nothing wrong with the ghost as long as you don't kind of take it in the wrong direction there. So so that's what we're going with that. So so let's take a look at what the Bible teaches us about the about the Holy Spirit and his presence in our life and you're going to need to either keep your bibles handy. Or this is where having a a digital device probably comes in handy because it's easier to kind of skip around. Or you can just look at the verses up on the screen if that's easier too. So we're going to begin with the first time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Scriptures. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses of the Bible, it says this, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." The earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we know right away, once again, we see the Spirit is God. It talks about the fact He's God. He's there with God the Father and God the Son at creation. He participates in the creation in creating what the world that we have out of nothing. And so we see that's the very first time that the Holy Spirit appears in the Scriptures. And then all throughout the Old Testament... The Holy Spirit kind of shows up sporadically. And what we see in the the Old Testament is this pattern where the Holy Spirit shows up for a specific period of time for a specific purpose or task. And then he leaves, either when the task is done or when the person rebels against God. So we see, for instance, like with King Saul. King Saul had the Holy Spirit of God, but when he turned against God, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit left him. We saw this with Samson. Remember, we studied Samson a while back. And and Samson, the reason he had this great power was because it says that the the power of the Holy Spirit would rush upon him. But one day, that power left him. And the sad thing was he didn't even know it. And so in the Old Testament, we see this idea of the Holy Spirit coming for a period of time, leaving, coming for a period of time, leaving. But when we get to the New Testament, things are going to change drastically. On the night before he went to his crucifixion, Jesus was sitting there with his disciples, and he was getting ready to leave. He was ready to go die on the cross, and then he was going to leave and and go away. But he wanted them to understand that he was not going to leave them as orphans. So here's what Jesus said to them in John chapter 14. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to take some of these passages that we're going to look at and, and pull some little pieces out of them. Then I'm going to come back at the end and kind of summarize all the things that we learned and then make an application to our everyday lives. So, so let's begin with this passage. And, and the first thing we see here is this phrase he uses. He talks about, I will send you another helper. Now, the word another there means another of the same kind. There's another Greek word that he could have used that would have meant another of a different kind. But what he's saying here, what he's implying is that the Holy Spirit is going to function in the lives of the disciples in a way that's very similar to the way that Jesus has functioned with them while he's been there on this earth. So he's going to send another helper, one of the same kind, another of the same kind. And then there's the word helper. This is a really key word. Jesus uses this word, I I think, on purpose. If if you're familiar at all with Greek, it's the word paracletes. We get our word paraclete from it. Some translations even use that word. But it's a word that literally means, a compound word that literally means one who comes alongside of another. And that's what he's saying here. The Holy Spirit is going to come alongside you. Remember, he started out there, he says, Obey my commands. And he understood that the disciples, including us, that we can't do that on our own. So he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you this helper. I'm going to send you someone who comes alongside you. In classical Greek, it was even used to describe a lawyer who would come alongside someone in court to to plead their case for him. And he says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a helper, someone who's going to help you to be able to obey my commands because I know you can't do it on your own. He also says that that helper, when he sends him, he says that helper is going to be with you forever. And that's really important because it indicates to us that that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is permanent. Unlike in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come for a period of time and leave, come for a period of time and leave, the Holy Spirit is going to be permanently in the lives of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, as we'll see in just a few moments. Then the next thing we see here is the, the phrase he used here. He says that um, the Holy Spirit would dwell with them and be in them. Now the word dwell is a really important word here. It's a word that literally means to remain or to abide. And so what he's saying that the Holy Spirit's not going to leave you. Again, it's it's reinforcing that idea of permanence in our life. He's not going to leave us. And he says it's going he's going to be in you. Now, Paul, when he writes his letter to the church in Corinth, he, he reinforces some of these same ideas. And so in chapter 3 of that letter, he writes this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Same word, right? No, this is a little different word than we saw that Jesus used. It's the word. This word dwell literally means to, um, to take up residence in a house. It comes from the Greek word for house. And so the idea here is it's, again, it's permanent residence. It's, the Holy Spirit's not coming as a renter. He's coming to, to take up permanent residence in our life. And then Paul reinforces that a little later in the, in the same letter, when we get towards the end of the letter, in chapter, or a, little, a couple chapters later, chapter 6, he says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, within you whom you have from God so once again he refers to this idea that the Holy Spirit is going to come to us and he's going to take up dwelling in our lives and so we we see some some important things here about the Holy Spirit of God that come from both what Jesus says and what Paul writes the next passage I want to take us to is one that you should be familiar with if you've been doing the uh, the our uh, quarterly bible reading this would have been your reading this week on Monday and it's a, from Ephesians chapter 1. And here Paul is going to give us some really important information about exactly when the Holy Spirit comes to uh, to dwell in our lives and how that happens. And here's what Paul writes, "In him you all in, in him speaking of Jesus you also" When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, that's going to be a key word, I'll come back to that in a moment, in Him were sealed, and that's also an important verb there, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now before I kind of pick apart some important uh, important parts of this passage, I want to briefly mention something that you guys may have heard about. It's something that you probably run across sometimes. This passage completely does away with that idea, but but it's something that's out there that you're going to hear about, so I want to kind of address it, and it's this whole idea of what some people would call the, the second blessing or the second work of grace. And what these people believe, those that would hold on to that, believe that that at salvation, at the time somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ, that they get the Holy Spirit. But then there are some, like, super mature Christians. And these super mature Christians, they have a second experience, which is called usually the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when they get, like, more of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And that usually that's evidenced by speaking in tongues. That's how you can tell that someone has this, this second blessing or this second work of grace. Now, I don't think the Scripture supports that at all, and we're going to see that here in just a moment as we kind of look at this this verse some more. But it's out there, and so you need to be aware of that. Now, at the lat in the last sermon in this series, I'm going to be talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it is true that that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but that's different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit or this idea of the second thing. It's more of an ongoing process by which we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We get all, as we'll talk about in a moment, we get all the Holy Spirit we're going to get at the very moment that we put our faith in Jesus. I mean, if we go back to these verses in Ephesians chapter 1, that's really clear. He says that at the moment that a person has believed, that's a... In Greek, this is what's called an aorist verb, and an aorist verb just means that it's something that took place in the past one moment in time. And he says, at that moment of time, he said the person also received the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in their lives. Again, it's a a past tense, it's an aorist verb, it happened at one time in the past. So that means that at the moment that we believe in Jesus, and we've talked about what belief means, it's more than just believing a set of facts in your mind it's it's trusting in Jesus to the point that it changes your life at that very moment that that happens we get the Holy Spirit we get all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to get now we can as we'll talk about we can quench the Holy Spirit we can keep him from operating in our lives we can we can not ignore him but we get all the Holy Spirit that we're going to ever get at that very moment so if we take all these passages together, then let's kind of summarize what we've learned from them today. And there's really three things that I want us to do. Here's the first thing that I want us to understand, that every disciple of Jesus receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of placing one's faith in Jesus. Unlike in the, Holy, in the Old Testament, you know, it didn't just come for a period of time, There's nothing that we need to do to get the Holy Spirit. It's a a gift from God, just like salvation is, just like our faith is. We don't have to do anything special. That's part of the deal. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit, and we get all the Holy Spirit at that time. And there's nothing else that we need to do continually to, to keep on getting the Holy Spirit into our lives. The second thing that we need to understand here this morning is this, that from that moment, the Holy Spirit dwells permanently in that person's life. Just like you don't do anything to get the Holy Spirit, you don't have to pray some prayer, you don't have to do something, you don't have to earn it, you also can't lose the Holy Spirit either. If you're a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, if you genuinely put your faith in Him, These passages have made it really clear that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell permanently in our lives. It says that he comes to dwell there forever, that he comes to take up residence. He's not just renting, he's not just passing through. So he's there permanently. The third thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit is a helper, not a dictator. Remember we talked about that? He comes alongside of us. He's there to help us. But the Holy Spirit will never force us to listen to Him. He will never force us to do what He guides us to do in our lives. As a matter of fact, as we'll find out more in the coming weeks, to actually understand the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it takes some work on our part. It takes us actually getting quiet enough to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because often His leadings are are gentle, they're quiet. The Holy Spirit doesn't really operate with a two-by-four to hit us over the head. I mean, once in a while, I suppose He does. But that's not His normal mode of operation. He comes alongside us. He's our helper to help us to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. So before I get to kind of wrap this up with the main idea for today, I want to ask you a question. How many of you here, while you're living here on earth, would love to have Jesus walking right beside you day by day in your life? Yeah. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That'd be great. What if I were to tell you that God has already given us something much better than that? Because here's the main point that I want you to take away today. And that is, in my life on earth, the presence of the Holy Spirit is better than the presence, the physical presence of Jesus would be. Now, some of you think I've gone crazy now, probably. But if you don't believe me, how about the words of Jesus himself? Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away, because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be that Helper to walk alongside you. And really, if we think about it for a while, we can understand why Jesus would say that, right? I mean, think about it. Well, Jesus was here on this earth, and he chose to, to dwell in a physical body. He was limited by that physical body, right? He could only be in one place at one time. So even in the, in the three years or three and a half years that he ministered here on earth, he couldn't be with all, even a small group like the 12 apostles. He couldn't be with all of them all the time. He couldn't even be with his inner circle of Peter and James and John. He wasn't with them all the time. He, he couldn't possibly do that. Sometimes he would go away to pray. Sometimes he would, you know, go off by himself. And so he wasn't with them every moment of every day because he was limited by a physical body. But the Holy Spirit is not limited by a physical body because the Holy Spirit is spirit. And as God, he has the ability to be in all places in all times, which means that he can physically dwell in the life of every single believer at the same time. Now, don't ask me how that works. I don't know. But I believe it because that's what the Bible teaches us. Because He's God. He can do that. And so that's much better, isn't it, than than just having the presence of Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit every moment of every day dwelling in our lives, guiding us and leading us and doing some of the things that we're going to talk about next week. So you want to come back next week and see some of the things that he does. So we've seen this morning that in my life here on earth that the presence of the Holy Spirit is better than the physical presence of Jesus would be. This week, really interesting that somebody would pose this question to me this week. I had somebody write me an email and ask me this question. Is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you really thought about that. I, it's something I've thought about, I guess, a little bit, but not in detail. So I know not everyone might agree with my answer, but here's what I told this person. I said, well, first of all, we know that the Holy Spirit's a person who wants to have a relationship with us. And I don't know about you, but when I have a relationship with someone, I'll, I like to have a conversation with them. I like to talk to them, right? And, and isn't that what prayer is? It's It's talking. So I think... Makes sense. I know the Holy Spirit's God, and I know God wants me to to pray. Now, I'll I'll tell you this that that in the Bible, pr- pretty much all the prayers, especially the ones we see in the New Testament, are prayed to God the Father in the name of the Son. But but there's nothing to to prohibit us from pr- praying to the Holy Spirit. I don't see any specific examples, but we don't see any prohibitions either. So, based on what I know about the nature of the Holy Spirit, it seems to me like Praying to the Holy Spirit is fine. And I think it's especially true when it comes to the role that he takes in our life, which, again, we're going to talk about next week. So here's how I want to wrap up our time this morning. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ already, I hope you understand that beyond a doubt right now that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in your life, that he's there permanently, that he's come there to help you to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. And so just a moment as we pray, I want you to take just a few moments to thank Him for His presence in your life and ask Him to help you to follow Him as He guides you in your life. I think that's an appropriate prayer and one that He'll answer. Now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus before, He's he's not going to do that. And, and I'm not sure exactly what you might want to pray, but I do know this. The Holy Spirit does have a function in your life, too, if you have not yet come to faith in Jesus. His role is to convict you of your sin and to convict you that you need a Savior. And so as we pray, I'm, I'm praying that that's what God is going to speak to your heart. So let's go ahead, just bow your head, close your eyes for just a moment, even if you're with us at home. encourage you to do that. And, and just pray and take a moment to thank the Holy Spirit for His presence in your life. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for your presence in our life. Thank you for coming to dwell permanently in in each one of our lives. And Father, we just ask that moment by moment, day by day, that that we would follow your leading and your guidance. Help us to, to just tune in to you and to who you are, to listen to your voice, to follow your gentle, quiet leadings in our life. And Father, I also want to take a moment just to pray for any who might be joining us right now who have never put their faith in you. And I want to ask right now that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their need for a Savior. Father, I know that's nothing that any of us can do as humans, and we pray that you would do that mighty work in their lives. And we thank you that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a day-to-day basis that as great as it would be to have Jesus walking with us day by day, that that's even better, Father. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send your Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.